Good morning, everybody. My name is Grant, one of the pastors here at Cedar Valley Church, and we are super excited that you have joined with us this morning. If this is one of your first times watching, a special welcome to you. And for all of you really welcome here, we love gathering on Sunday mornings like this. We like praying for each other, learning, worshiping together, even if it's kind of distant in each other's homes online. But that doesn't stop us from worshiping God and uh, growing as disciples together as a church community. We also straight up miss that face-to-face -face connection time, but we want to be safe during this pandemic time. So what you can do to get that with our church community here is on Tuesday evenings at 7 p.m. We're hanging out together at the church. Come on out. There's a huge park, Griner Park, right beside the church parking lot here. And uh, we've been setting up some lawn chairs, some blankets, and just connecting safely, sharing with each other our ups and downs that's going on, uh, laughing a bunch and praying for each other. And so that's happening throughout the summer. A great way to just get that face-to-face -face connection while we can still safely worship and do our, our church community stuff and ministries online on Sundays. And if you want to stay best informed with that kind of information for future events, stuff like the Tuesday evening gatherings happening, or even this coming fall, what kids and youth ministries might look like, I invite you to follow us, Cedar Valley Church Mission, on Facebook or Instagram, or head over to our website, cedarvalley.ca, and sign up for our weekly email newsletters. But for this morning, please join me in a time of prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for this morning, God, that you are with us in our homes. God, you're here uh, at the church with our watch party. God, you're with us. Maybe we're just out on a walk and we've got the phone on. Uh, wherever we are, God, you are not confined to a building or a place or a time. You are, you tell us in the Bible that you're wherever we gather, wherever really we are just submitting to worshiping you, God. Um, God, we think of Beirut right now, uh, the disastrous explosion that happened there, God, and the hundreds of people who've lost their lives, the thousands who've been affected by it, God, and, and even more so who are going to be affected for years to come with all this. God, there are relief workers there working, there's volunteers, there's donations of money going out, but there needs to be more. There needs to be the miraculous support that you can provide, God. Give us the conviction if we can do anything to support them from, from here, God, from far away. Give us that conviction to do so. Give us that support, the ability to just do that reach out, whether it's financial, God, whether it's sending something that we can over to help out. But we just pray for Baruton this time. God, we also just pray for the health and medical needs of uh, those in our, our community, our families here, um, for relatives undergoing surgery, God, for those who are battling illnesses and sicknesses, and especially for those who aren't able to go and physically be with family and friends who are battling with health. Uh, God, we thank you for the successful surgeries and the miraculous and just fantastic recoveries that have been happening. We, we lift that up and we praise you for that. And with all of these medical health needs, God, we just pray that your love and compassion shines through bright and boldly, God, in people's lives who need it. God, and especially that your name is glorified in all of this. God, please bless the generous financial support that's been given to Cedar Valley Church, that you can multiply it and just let it be poured out to your work in mission here, God, uh, for our ministries, God, for our workers, for support like relief work happening around the world, uh, for missionaries that we send around the world, God, for ministries like Seeds of Hope that we're going to be hearing about today and the work you do for children and orphans there uh, across the world. God, so we just pray that you bless that and thank you for the ongoing support for volunteers that help make services like this this morning and all the other things happening at Cedar Valley Church 
a reality, God, that there are people who just pour their time, effort, and skills into it. All of this, God, we just pray that you bless this service, that uh, we are willing to learn from you, to hear something new, and just grow and change our lives. God, we pray all this in your name. Amen. All right, I, we prayed for some recovery uh, for the disaster that happened in Beirut earlier this week. But if you would like to actually support that, uh, the relief work happening financially, head over to mccanada.ca. MCC is uh, short for, it's an acronym for Mennonite Central Committee, an organization that we've partnered with before. Many people in our church congregation have spent their lives working for this organization. Um, you might know the MCC sale that happens uh, annually down in Abbotsford. Um, but they are already doing uh, relief work in that disaster and they have a massive matching bursary going on for any donations. So head over to the website there if you feel that you're able to donate financially to the relief work happening. All right, and this morning we're going to start off with a time of worship singing. There will be lyrics on the screen so you can join in however you feel comfortable. After that, we've got a ministry update from Kathy, who's going to let us know about another organization that we partner with regularly, Seeds of Hope, which is a school and orphanage based in Zambia and Thailand. And we're going to hear an update about the ministry happening there, specifically tailored for the kids. So stick around for that. After that, we're going to dive into the next topic on our Ask Why series, where Pastor Rob is going to help us wrestle through an often criticized observation uh, people give of Christianity is, why do Christians seem set against the LGBTQ community? So stick around for that as we just dive into biblical answers, the way Jesus has given us examples of how to reach out and love the world in a diversity of opinions and worldviews. And just before we head into that, if you're watching live, head over to the comment section of Facebook or YouTube and uh, answer this question this morning. So have you ever been slotted into or judged uh, into a stereotype before? That may seem like a heavier icebreaker question for this morning, but I'll start off with one. So as a teenager, I used to skateboard a ton, and anytime I would head into any sort of store, especially corner stores, and I'd, I was holding my board with me, instantly the cashier would just lock eyes on me or the security guard would follow me around like as if I was gonna steal every candy bar I eyed my, like stuck my eyes on. So that's something that I've experienced a bunch. If you're watching live, head over to the comments section of Facebook or YouTube, let us know an answer to that question. Have you ever been slotted into a stereotype before? Share those observations with us. Thanks for tuning in, Cedar Valley. We're gonna have a great morning.
Welcome to Church Cedar Valley. Just excited to have you here. Please join us as we sing this morning.
Morning, Cedar Valley kids. Um, it's good to be here with you again. Last time, if you remember, we talked about uh, Guatemala and the Light of the World Christian School. I'm Gabriella and Joa's grandma, and today we're going to travel to Africa. Notice Africa here. We notice, you know, a lion right here. We're doing Africa, and the reason that we want to go there is that. There's a special place called the Poseco Children's Home. And there, there are 170 children uh, living inside a compound. So when I go like this, 
I don't know that it's exactly round, but it's a compound, so there's a fence or a, or a wall around it. And this is where inside there 170 students live, and uh, from actually from babies to grade 12, and their teachers and other people like cooks and things like that. So inside that compound, <coughs> school is still happening. But outside that compound, in Zambia, the country of Zambia, there are people that are getting sick. Uh, sick just with the same sickness that is here in Canada, where people get, get really, really sick and have to go to the hospital. Inside the compound, the people are safe because there's no going in or, or coming, um, going out or coming in. <clears throat> the children, the reason for that is that the children in the Boseca home um, need to stay very healthy and, and so they cannot go out, even with masks on, they can't go out. <clears throat> You see, these children don't have their parents there. So there are people, our friends, John and Susan, and Dave and Shannon are there, and many others, looking after these children and loving them and taking care of them. So <clears throat> inside that compound, there are gardens. And so they grow their own vegetables and they have goats to produce milk for them. They have chickens to produce eggs and meat, and they also have fish. So there are things to eat inside there, although we're, we're hoping that that will be enough to last out uh, this time when they have to stay inside the compound. So how can we help, or how do they need help? One thing we know is that we can't get on an airplane and go there to help them. Um, and th we can't bring them here to us so we can help them. So how else could we help them? I know that some of you guys are really good at drawing pictures or painting with your watercolors. You could paint them a picture and we could send it to them to let them know that we're thinking about them and that they're in our hearts. We could take some of the money out of our piggy banks and send it to them. And you know, your parents might be interested in the Seeds of Hope coffee. Um, it smells marvelous, even right here, it smells so good. And that, when, when your parents buy some coffee, some of that money goes to help uh, look after the children inside the compound. But another thing that we could do is to pray for them. And that's a very important thing because um, you know, when we think about the story of Elisha back in, in the Old Testament, and let me just remind you of that. So Elisha and his servant were in a, in a city, and the servant got up in the morning and he looked out and he saw on the hillside that they were surrounded by, by the enemy. And he went to Elisha and he said, what are we going to do? They're surrounding us. This enemy, this problem is all around us. And Elisha said, Elisha prayed to God and asked that, the, that God would allow the servant to actually see what was happening. So yes, 
the enemy was around there, but right around Elisha and the servant, there was an angel army. There were horses and chariots, a fire all around protecting them. And so God did protect them. So one of the things that we could do is to pray for, to pray for the people in the Boseca children's home, that they would be protected in that same way by an angel army. <clears throat> so if you would join with me, let's pray for the people, the children, babies to grade 12, kids, teachers, helpers in the home, pray for everybody there. So let's just close your eyes and you can be praying out loud if you like on your own or you can certainly listen and, and in your head say amen or else you can even say it out loud as I pray. So let's just pray for them because the God who hears our prayers is the one who can reach down and, and help those people. So let's just pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we just want to pray for the Boseco Children's Home and the precious students and babies and teachers that are there within that compound. <clears throat> we pray that you would put a, uh, an army of angels around them, protecting them from, from this uh, sickness. We pray that you would um, protect them from, um, from not having enough food. We pray that you would provide them not only with the food that they have, but other food as well. We pray that you would provide them with, with uh, medicine and, and doctors um, from outside, that you would somehow protect them and bring them those things that they need. We pray for um, so many other things, that you would keep them healthy, that you would give them food, that there would be water, that the, the electricity would continue to work, and that we pray that you would give them joy in their hearts and an opportunity to uh, encourage other people and to tell other people about you. Thank you, Lord, that you hear our prayers. In Jesus' name, amen. So thank you very much for this time. Um, and I pray that um, in addition to the place, the, the school in Guatemala, that you would also have it in your heart to also continue to pray for the Paseco Children's Home in Zambia. Thanks, guys. Good morning, Cedar Valley. How are you this morning? Just a shout out to our cameraman today. Two consecutive Sundays. John Elliott, way to go. He's in the background. Pleased that I've pointed that out. We're in uh, our teaching series called Ask Why. And today's question is, uh, why do Christians seem so set against the LGBTQ 2S plus community, hence the title. This is a really difficult question, actually. It's a question that I have not answered uh, in a sermon, 
um, because I think it's a better conversation to have than it is a teaching. And I still think this actually, but it is a question that we are being asked and you asked us to answer. And it is a conversation that has the potential for like enormous amounts of misunderstanding and hurt. There are people who ask this question out of genuine curiosity, and then there are those who ask it to just pick a fight. We'd be wise to know the difference between those two types of people and spend our breath or save it, as the case might be. And there are biases and bigotries on both sides of the equation worth noting, where bias is our tendency to think a certain way and process our world in ways that support our thinking and where bigotry is our tendency to be intolerant and reject different ways that others see the world. I'm saying all of this at the start of this teaching to remind us of what James, the brother of Jesus, said himself in his letter to the church. And I'm quoting from James chapter 1 verses 19 and 20 which you will find referenced here and broken down. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry because human anger doesn't produce the righteousness that God desires. So, quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to anger. If we remember nothing but this today. This would be really good to frame how we interact with people in general. Just be really quick to listen, slow to speak, and maybe even slower to anger when you will be if you do these things, probably. Let's begin by dividing the divide. There is no us, them. There is only us. Every one of us, all, are simultaneously sinful and loved. We have all fallen short of the glory of God, says one of the texts in the Bible, which is to say, His perfection. And that's just the way it is, of being even kind to one another, and moreover, of being honest with ourselves about these things. We have all missed God's best for us from the beginning and from time to time these days across the spectrum of what we think and what we say and what we do, including our sexuality. We have all, says Kierkegaard, sinned by making anything other than a healthy, growing relationship with our Creator God the most important thing in our lives. Not fortune, not fame, not our sexuality, not even religion, if we think religion means doing good things to earn favor with God, rules, rituals, regulations, routines. None of that. But knowing Him and what He has for us is the heart of the matter. We all need to turn to God. We all need forgiveness. The good news is that God loves all of us the same, offering forgiveness and restoration of relationship with Him through Jesus Christ, His Son. 
God loves us because, as one of the writers of the Bible says, God is love. He effectively can't even help himself. And in this love, he has made all of us uniquely in his image with profound dignity, not one more than another. And in his love, he gave his life so that we could live with him forever. He took the metaphorical bullet that our sin deserves, the judgment of a just and merciful God of all that is off the mark and cruel and destructive because love demands an accounting for these kinds of things. This is, this is Christianity 101 and the great equalizer of all people. The divide comes with if we believe the Bible and how we read it. If we believe the Bible, then we have a common basis for discussion. Some might even go as far as to say a common basis for our bias. But if we disagree about the Bible, so begins a divide of sorts. So might begin our bigotries. And then some within the church, and even outside of it, read the Bible differently. Some with an orthodox and conservative bias and others with a progressive and liberal bias. So, at the risk of oversimplifying things, let me try to draw the comparison. Conservatives make arguments such as, Jesus was pro-marriage between men and women and silent on support for same-sex unions. Pastor Doug talked about that weeks ago, that there is not a single positive reference to same-sex attraction in the whole of the Bible, that male and female complete God's image on earth, that the union between a man and a woman actually is a primary symbol of God's love for and intimacy with his church, the bride of Christ, and that people are much more than just their sexuality. Liberals make arguments such as the word homosexuality isn't even in the Bible, true story, never mind terms for bisexuality, trans, transgenderism, or queer, that gender is a cultural construct, that there are many ways to interpret the troublesome on-topic texts of the Bible, that the same-sex passages in the Bible describes something very different than the committed, monogamous, and loving same-sex relationships of today, that education and experience has allowed for shifts of thinking with regards to such issues as slavery and women in church leadership, so why not this? Us meet them. Liberals meet conservatives. What if there was another way? To be conservative in our theology, but liberal in our practice. Or as our friends at the Meeting House say, to have the biblical rigor of conservatives and the welcoming embrace of liberals. This seems to be the crux of it. Some Christians may seem set against the LGBTQ2S plus community, and some just might be, because of their bias towards the Bible as the primary source for their understanding of how people of God should live. At our best, Christians reach out to everyone in love 
and service and respectful dialogue with a hope that people will investigate the claims of Jesus, that he is God, that he has come to save us all from judgment, the judgment that we deserve for our sins. At our worst, Christians sit in their theological echo chambers, confirming their biases, judging the world on those bases, using a standard the world doesn't know or dismisses altogether, and so reinforcing the us-them divide. If you are gay, or bi, or trans, or queer, or two-spirit, and you happen to be tuning in, I'm sorry that the church has demonstrated judgment at times, not love. I'm sorry that the church has listened so slowly and spoke so quickly, oftentimes in anger. And I'm sorry that the church at other times has not represented Jesus Christ to you as the church is called to do. What shall we do? What shall we do if we believe that everyone is equally loved by God, if we believe that the Bible tells us how to live life well, and if we believe that Christ followers are called to express their sexuality within marriage? How can we be conservative in theology but liberal in our practice? Well, here's a couple of thoughts. The first of them is this. Let's learn the difference between acceptance and agreement. Acceptance is of the person. Agreement or disagreement is of the behavior. See, we can accept someone as unique, an image bearer of God, loved by Him and deserving of dignity, and still disagree with something they might say or do, right? We can even accept they might have different desires than us and disagree with their practice because they are free to make their own choices as free will beings. I think, I think we get stuck and we then drive people away when we withhold acceptance of them as some form of disagreement, as if hanging out with them condones their behavior. Sometimes Christians find it hard to fully accept someone unless that person first changes, or what we in religious circles would say is repentance or repenting, changing behavior, and to become like them. It's like they can't disagree and at the same time fully respect, honor, and accept that person as the Bible calls them to do. Remind the people, says the Apostle Paul to Titus, his student of faith. I'm reading now from Titus chapter 3, verses 1 and 2. Remind the people. So this is a reminder to us to be subject to rulers and authorities, to be obedient, to be ready to do whatever is good, to slander no one. And then specifically this last piece, to be peaceable and considerate and to show true humility toward all men. Besides, like, what kind of peace is it when we just agree all the time? As if that's possible, right? Such peaceable living, to borrow from Titus, 
on the back of having to agree all the time seems what? It, it just seems kind of fragile, like a pseudo piece. And it, it might even prevent us from completely being honest with each other and then making that choice to love, being intentional about it. So that's the first thing to consider. Let's learn the difference between acceptance and agreement. Here's the second. Let's stop expecting Bible-based behavior from those who don't claim to follow the Bible. Not from secular people, don't expect it there, not from secular governments. We cannot expect a biblically illiterate and or biblically opposed culture to submit themselves to the teaching of the Bible. It just doesn't make sense. It'd be like Western women being asked to submit to Islamic laws of the Quran. We don't know them, and those that we do seem really oppressive to us. Our secular governments are doing their best outside of a Christian worldview to create loving, respectful, and stable societies. We should understand this and commend them for the work they do and not expect that they will approach this topic or any other topic for that matter from a biblical perspective as we would want as Christians. Pray for them? Yes! 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 1 and 2. Give to the government what is theirs and to God what is His? Yes! Mark chapter 12, verse 17. Romans chapter 13, verses 6 and 7. Expect non-believers and governments to behave from a biblical ethic? That's a hard no. Third point to consider. Let's love through our actions. What would it look like if Christians were known for loving the LGBTQ2S plus community as opposed to being known for messages of disapproval, signed petitions, and letters to governments opposing the gay agenda, whatever that is? How could we love this oppressed people group? Like, so as I said at the start, if we remember nothing else, it might be our answer as it was starting today. Be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to anger, quick to hear and understand their stories. Make them feel welcome when they walk into our church, when they walk into our lives. Serve them where you find them. Ask them questions. Take interest in them as people, not as projects. That's offensive, actually. Let them explore Jesus Christ at their own pace. Let your kindness be part of that exploration in their faith journey. Be slow to speak, giving them space and time to be themselves. And as the scripture says in 1 Peter, be ready to give them a, a gentle and respectful answer for the reason that you have the hope you do within you. If you feel any anger rising, look at that. Get, get curious about that. Ask yourself what that might be telling you about you. 
Are you afraid of something? Step out from that feeling, separate it as a stimulus from your response to it. A gentle response, the proverb says, deflects anger, but harsh words make tempers flare. Your temper and whoever you're talking to. Imagine what it would look like to a secular world if Christians were to bless those who they met and didn't agree with and who might not agree with them. Two men walk into the church holding hands. A woman named Sarah, who looks like a man dressed as a woman, walks in behind them. They are all asking themselves, am I welcome here? Could I belong here? What shall we do? Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word today that is clear in its instruction to us on how we need to interact with each other and those around us within our community. That we would be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to anger. Father, we are all trying to be as faithful as we can to your word, but equally faithful in applying it from our hearts. Help us to, um, to love well. And that might even be a function of having listened well and spoken little and guarded against anger. On this subject, Father, where there's all kinds of misunderstanding and hurt, I pray that by your Spirit you would bring clarity and healing. And that you would call us each into a different way of moving into this subject matter that would look maybe even more and more, if it isn't already, like your son, Jesus Christ, and how he would love people. We pray these things in his powerful and precious and gracious name. Amen. Peace to your valley.